What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. I actually want to apologize for those of you that follow the social pages. I uh, completely spaced yesterday to give you guys an update about uh, what uh, is going on this week on the podcast, but you know, clearly if you're listening to this today on Monday, it means that we're back to our you know, Monday recording days, which is great, you know, kind of been a weird out of the routine the last couple of weeks. I didn't exactly uh, feel great last week. And then, you know, a Tuesday episodes for, um, you know, various other reasons. So happy to be back with you folks today on Monday. Uh, Going to be a lot of Bruins and Celtics this week. You know, a little Patriots, a little Red Sox, then obviously um, NFL playoffs. We'll talk a little bit as well. So Going to get into all of that. Before we go any further, would like to uh, say thank you to uh, Tyler Hayden, my older brother, coming on the uh, podcast last week, talk about his uh, trip uh, to Leeds, England, to catch a Premier League game. You can actually check out the uh, social pages on Twitter, on Facebook. I posted some uh, pictures from Tyler's trip that uh, the listeners may find interesting, so you can go find those on the Facebook page and the Twitter page. So that was uh, pretty exciting. So looking forward for this week on Guest Friday. We've got a uh, new guest and I'm going to keep it a little bit of a surprise for you guys until Friday when we uh, release that. So looking forward to that. And uh, without further ado, I think we're going to get into it, going to get into the Bruins first. Uh, Plenty of news about this team that uh, just continues to uh, tear up the entire league. Uh, Bruins with a 4-0 win over the Sharks last night. 37-5-4, this team's record after the 4-0 win last night. Bruins get a couple goals from Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy. Uh, David Pasternak scoring his 36th of the year. Still somehow not leading the league. Some guy named McDavid leads the league with 40 goals. Uh, But Pasternak with another goal last night on the power play. Nick Foligno had the other goal in this game. And so... You know, again, this is a team that the Bruins played last night in the San Jose Sharks that, you know, are going to be near the bottom of the league. Kind of knew that that was going to be what was going to be going on for that team this year. So the Bruins really, you know, made it look easy. You know, I think that I continue to be impressed by this team, you know, game after game. But I think just looking at the game last night, you know, as the Bruins having, you know, one of their last home games in quite a while. Bruins are going to be on the road for uh, the foreseeable future. Bruins, I think, only have two or three more home games until the end of February. So I think this kind of being a getaway game, you kind of didn't know how they were going to play against a team that, you know, isn't very good. And, you know, would the Bruins take this team seriously? But I think as you've seen, with every opponent that the Bruins have played this year, you know, they've taken them seriously. They've not gotten complacent. They've not, you know, said, okay, here's a team that we're playing. It's going to be an easy game. And, you know, I think that hockey is one of those sports where it is kind of hard to be very complacent, you know, and I think especially in the NHL where I think all 32 teams are, you know, good teams, you know, not going to say that everyone is, an elite team, but it's like you're playing against the best athletes in the world that play this game. So I think, you know, it impresses me when the Bruins can come out and have a game like this against a bad team and they can, you know, kind of impose their will as they did all game last night. So, you know, just great to see a getaway game, getting a win, you know, the mini road trip to New York, really no speed bumps there except for uh, Tomas Noshik suffering a foot fracture, so he'll be out for a month. Uh, Brandon Carlo did also take a shot off his foot, um, but seemed to be okay as he played last night. So, you know, Bruins are going to be a little bit wounded, but I think Jonah uh, Kapanen, who has played um, the last couple of games um, in no-sex place or in, you know, whoever's been out of the lineup, I actually kind of like his game. 
you know, he's been a guy that's been kind of a career minor leaguer, guy that's been in Providence for for a pretty long time. But I think him getting an opportunity is great. You know, I think if you remembered him in the preseason, I think he had a pretty good preseason. Bruins liked him enough to, you know, give him a call up and have him, you know, presumably take over those fourth line center roles. You know, is a guy that does have a lot of size. You know, he's a big guy, but not exactly a player that is going to use that size in terms of like being physical. But he does play with good pace. Actually, picked up an assist last night on Nick Foligno's goal, so that was good to see him getting involved on the score sheet. So the Bruins definitely, I think, will miss um, Nosek as he's a guy who's. Pretty good penalty killer, you know, pretty solid in the face-off dot. He hadn't been able to take face-offs recently because of a, a nagging injury, but I think, you know, this is a team that I think has, for the most part, been pretty lucky in terms of health. You know, no second DeBrusque obviously being out is challenging, but, you know, it did also get word on Twitter today from Ty Anderson that Jake DeBrusque is supposed to uh, start skating today, so... That's at least a positive that, you know, Jake hopefully will be on the way back and, you know, recover from that uh, foot fracture that he suffered in the Winter Classic. So, you know, hopefully DeBrus can come back soon. You know, Nosek, I think, tough to see him go down, but I think this Bruins team is pretty deep, but I think they'll be okay. I'd be curious to see who the Bruins bring up from Providence as, you know, it'll be someone that's out of the lineup, so... Someone from Providence will need to come up. It might be Mark McLaughlin. I heard that name floated around in the paper. Maybe it was yesterday. So curious to see if he gets into the lineup this week. Of course, if he gets called up, you know, could be someone else. Um, but I think, you know, just one of the obviously the big thing from last night's game is the defenseman scoring. You know, I think in this recent run of maybe five or six games, the defensemen have scored six or seven goals, you know, which is great. I think that that was kind of the one area that I don't want to say was a weakness, but I think one area that the team kind of wanted to see more from, you know, I think particularly guys shooting the puck, guys getting pucks to the net. And obviously you saw that with Lindholm with a fantastic move and a great goal last night in the first period. Um, and then McAvoy making a heck of a play. I mean, Matt Grizzlick's been putting up points recently, too. So it's really good to see that. Eric Forbert had a goal uh, the other night against the Rangers. Or was it the Islanders? No, I think it was against the Islanders. So, you know, it's good that the Bruins are getting defensemen involved, scoring points, because I think that's, I think, one of the areas that this team was kind of missing last year, that you kind of had your forwards that were producing most of the offense. And I think from what you've seen this season, and I think it's been an emphasis, is that the defensemen are activating more, getting more involved. But now, you know, they're putting points on the board. You know, they're scoring goals, they're getting assists. And I think it just helps you become a more balanced offensive team that you can feel comfortable, that you can get goals and assists every once in a while. From the defenseman. I mean, honestly, you get Lindholm and McAvoy that are pretty much, seems like they're putting in points every single game. You know, Lindholm has 31 points in 46 games. McAvoy is 29 points in 33 games. So it's like, you know, you kind of look at the scoreboard and McAvoy has an assist. McAvoy has two assists. You know, in every game, it seems like you look up and he has some points. So, you know, he's a guy that's really come on strong. You know, despite missing the first, you know, 13, 14 games of the season, whatever it was, but he's, you know, nearly a point per game at this point, which is pretty impressive for a defenseman. But I think someone that missed a lot of time and really kind of had to take a little bit to get back into the swing of things. So defenseman scoring goals is great to see. You know, that's something that I think you hope can kind of continue the rest of the season. You know, I think that you'll kind of give and take, or you'll kind of take the goals when they come. But I think seeing the guys being involved in the offense is just good to see, you know, 
that Clifton can jump up into the play. You know, he can do that. You know, Carlos becoming more comfortable doing that. Um, and I think he's been playing pretty well recently. And, you know, he and Lindholm, when they play together, they've been pretty good. Grizzly and McAvoy, you know, that they can play well together. So um, it's been really good to see the defense activating, scoring goals. And, you know, you continue to get goals from everywhere. You know, yeah, Pasternak's still playing at the level he's playing at, but David Krejci looks rejuvenated. Is almost a point per game at this point. 37 points in 41 games. You know, Pavel Zaka has been on a scoring stretch recently. I think his 11 points in his last 14 games is 30 points on the year. You know, Charlie Coyle's got 25 points. Nick Foligno has 20 points. Trent Frederick has 18 points. He's equal the point total from last year. You know, I think that he is a guy that deserves a lot of credit for playing the game that he's playing because I think he was one of those players that I think the Bruins did not get enough out of last season. You know, and I think the message is more clear to him this year about what he is supposed to be doing, you know, and kind of encouraging him to do the things that he does well. And I think he's really stepped up to the challenge. And I think he's been a guy that Jim Montgomery's given opportunities to, but he's also made the most of these opportunities. You know, it's not like he has eight points on the season and the Bruins are just playing him to play him. It's like he has become a more complete player. And I think, you know, someone shared this the other day that he is like out of his draft class in 2016, in terms of point production, he's actually one of the better players, you know, which is really interesting. I know the Bruins, you know, for, for a while, you know, got a lot of flack about picking him in the first round that maybe wasn't worth it. But I think you're seeing him playing the way that the Bruins envisioned him to play when they picked him in the first round to be like, okay, this is the type of guy that we envisioned. So it's great to see him getting goals and assists every so often. Um, but I think... The other thing is that I wanted to talk about is the goaltending. You know, Jeremy Swayman has been unbelievable lately. Linus Olmark continues to be the best goalie in the league. You know, really exciting for him to go to the All-Star game that'll be in two weeks. So, you know, he's been awesome, continues to play at this high level. And Jeremy Swayman, I think, has started to turn the corner after having kind of a not great start to the season, or maybe he wasn't playing as much as we thought he would, but he's responded. He's been excellent. You know, even came in in relief last night, as uh, you may have seen that uh, Linus Hallmark lost one of his skate blades, had to uh, shimmy over to the bench. They had to bring Swayman in for a couple minutes, made a big save, and then Hallmark comes back in. So, you know, I think by far the best goalie tandem in the league at this current moment, you know, Swayman's playing, you know, the best hockey that we've seen him play this season. And I think really is starting to be more comfortable playing a little bit more regularly. Um, 11-3-3, his record, 226 goals against average and a 916 save percentage. You know, Olmark is just, you know, continues to be ridiculous. 25-2-1 with a 182 goals against and a 938 safe percentage. I mean, you could play a video game and couldn't get better numbers than that. It just goes to show you how ridiculous he's been. Um, so I think, you know, I think that me personally, I'm always going to have concerns about him in terms of, you know, getting overworked potentially. But I think that what's easing some of my concerns is that Swayman's played really well when he's been called upon and, you know, can be a guy that absolutely can handle a larger workload if needed. So, you know, I think that's one of the luxuries of having two really good goalies that, okay, if one of your guys needs to rest for a bit, you can have the other guy come in and you don't really lose much in terms of the type of player that you're getting. So really exciting time. To be a Bruins fan, they've just continued to light the league up with 78 points to this point in the season. Uh, we'll take a look at the standings later, see where they are in the Atlantic division. But 
Oh, and one last little note, David Pasternak was selected as one of the, I think, fan vote players. So he will be going to the All-Star game in Florida with Olmark. That will be in two weeks. Two weeks from yesterday will be the All-Star game three-on-three tournament. I think when we go back to look at the NHL later in today's pod, we'll take a look at the All-Star rosters for each of the divisions. So for the Bruins this week, as we kind of take a look at the uh, week ahead, if you will, Bruins with uh, four games this week, tomorrow night in Montreal. Bruins will play the Canadians for the first time this season. Don't even get me started on that because that's a whole other thing that I'm going to rant about, but I really don't want to. <laughs> Bruins then will play Tampa Bay on Thursday night, and then we'll have a back-to-back Florida Saturday night, and then Carolina on Sunday night, and then the Bruins get a couple days off before they play on February 1st against Toronto. So the Bruins have five road games and then have the all-star break and then have their bye week, so to speak, as they will not play again until February 11th. So pretty important road stretch for this Bruins team that I think has been really fortunate that the schedule has been pretty, you know, pretty good to them in terms of giving them a lot of home games. But I think, yeah, you're going to see a lot more road games right now and then kind of toward the end of the season. So it'd be interesting to see how the Bruins respond against a couple of good teams. You know, these teams are not the, you know, lower end of the league. You know, you're playing Tampa Bay, you're playing Carolina, you're playing Florida and Montreal have been playing better hockey lately. And then you get to play Toronto again. So That'd be a very intriguing five-game stretch uh, for this team. You know, I'd be curious to see what we see. You know, does someone like Taylor Hall start to pick up the production a little bit more? Do you see more defensive production? Do you see a little bit of a slip? You know, who knows? But I think um, it will be exciting to watch these games because they're going to be some good games. You know, it's always a good game when the Bruins and Canadiens play and then you know, Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Toronto are all on this trip. Legitimate, you know, playoff opponents that you could see um, in the spring. So I think it'll be a good, good couple of matchups for this team after the uh, um, good win last night in, or good win last night against San Jose. So I think it's going to do it for the Bruins. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about. Celtics and boy did they have some crazy games last week (laughs) you know as we spoke to you folks last Wednesday the Celtics were coming off a uh, coming off their sixth straight win or excuse me seventh straight win um, against Charlotte in which Jason Tatum had 51 points you know going into this game against the Warriors and then a difficult road test against Toronto and Yes, the Celtics did pass these tests, but not with a little bit of, uh, you know, issue, I guess you could say. Um, you know, I think with the game last, the last game, Saturday afternoon, is a 5 o'clock start. That kind of threw me off. Celtics obviously did not have Jason Tatum in this game. You know, I think kind of a rest type of thing um, because the Celtics do have a back-to-back this week as they play tonight in Orlando and then tomorrow night in Miami. So could be an idea that the Celtics wanted to give him that game off so that he could play both games uh, back-to-back this week. So, you know, Celtics and Toronto, close game down to the wire. Celtics lost a couple guys to injury in this game, which at the time was not the most, was not the best feeling in the world to see Marcus Smart you know, twist his ankle fairly badly, and then Rob Williams kind of have someone land into his knee. You know, kind of the positive thing about both of those is they don't appear to be serious. Um, And I think Rob Williams, if I remember correctly, he actually stayed in the game after that um, kind of injury scare where I think Derek White fell into his knee. Um, But it seemed like he finished the rest of the, I think that that happened in the second quarter, finished the rest of the half. Um, And then the Celtics sat him down kind of as a precautionary reason. So I think that that made a lot of sense. 
Um, so you saw a lot of Peyton Pritchard uh, late in that game in Toronto, and he delivered, knocking down a number of big threes, including the go-ahead three, um, with about, I think, over a minute left. But, you know, this is a team that just continues to find ways to win. You know, and I think that that is the most important thing. And yes, they're not always going to be able to win pretty. Sometimes they're going to win ugly. Nothing was, you know, more ugly than that Thursday night game against the Warriors. You know, Celtics came out with the win, but did not really close the game out very well. And to be perfectly honest, didn't exactly close out the game super well. in Toronto, you know, Grant Williams committing an offensive foul as the team, you know, had the ball and was looking to, you know, shoot free throws to end the game, you know. So can't really have mistakes like that late in the game, you know, and the Celtics seem like they've had too many of those issues lately. You know, they've been able to get wins. Well, when you think about, I think, the San Antonio game a couple weeks ago, the Golden State game, obviously, the other night, and then uh, Toronto on Saturday, you know, you want this team to be able to finish games. And I think being a little bit turnover prone um, was really concerning. But in Toronto, Celtics came up with the big defensive plays, you know, came up with the plays, did enough to win, you know, which is, I think, all you can ask for when you lose a couple of players to injury that you kind of just got to power through. And Jalen Brown, to his credit, did really well in this game. 27 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. You know, really was the best player on the floor for this team. So it was good to see him step up. Um, And then obviously against the Warriors, he made a pretty big shot at the end of regulation. Um, Made a couple of plays in um, overtime as well. Finished with... Or now it's Tatum that finished with 34. I think I looked at the looked at that wrong. Um, Jalen Brown finished with 16 points in that game. Um, you know, he and Tatum really struggled shooting the ball, but I think you know Brown came up with enough plays in overtime. Tatum obviously as well at 19 rebounds, six assists, 34 points. You know, the two of them I think. I think, you know, and, you know, again, as I said it a couple minutes ago, you know, they're going to have games where they have to win ugly, you know, and I think that it goes to show you that, okay, Tatum and Brown may not have had the best games, but they were able to do enough to win, and I think that's really all you can ask for. You know, I think that, yes, Jason Tatum was careless with the basketball Thursday night. You know, there's no other way to sugarcoat that, so... That's concerning. You know, I think that he needs to do a better job late in games. But I think that him being able to rally and be able to power through the turnovers, power through the tough shooting, to be able to come up with enough winning plays at the end to get the win, you know, I think speaks to this team and their ability to, even when things are not going well, they can still power through and find a way to win. So as much as Maybe you don't want to feel good about that game against the Warriors. They got the win. you know. And I think when you're playing a playoff-style game like that, you know, wins are all that matter. You know, if you win games like that, that's all people are really going to care about. So, you know, I think you'd be curious to see how the Celtics do with this back-to-back. Have a couple of tough teams coming in in the next couple of weeks. But I think Tatum should be back uh, for this game tonight. Not sure about Marcus Smart, Rob Williams, Derek White. I think also left the game. So could be the Celtics are a little more shorthanded. Um, but I think Malcolm Brogdon, this is exactly why the Celtics got him. You know, to be able to kind of spell guys when they're hurt, but also be able to, you know, come up with big plays at big times. Um, and I think no one was more important making bigger plays than Rob, Rob Williams Thursday night. Grabbed, I think, take a look back at this box score. Rob Williams, I think, finished with 13. They finished with 11 rebounds, 7 offensive rebounds. And, you know, he and Brogdon really were the big reasons why the Celtics were able to stay close with Golden State throughout the rest of that game and then were able to make enough plays at the end 
um, of regulation and then be able to make some plays defensively at the end of that Golden State game. So, you know, it's wins or wins. You know, that's really all I'm going to say. And, you know, yeah, if you're one of those people that wants to be skeptical of the way that they played down the stretch in Golden State, I'm not or against Golden State, I'm not necessarily going to stop you because I think the way that they finished that game was kind of all over the place with a couple or a turnover and an almost turnover you know, that kind of would have put the game in the balance. But I think getting a win against that Warriors team, I think was really important for the Celtics psyche, you know, just to be able to get a win against this team that, you know, had beaten you four times in a row, if you include the finals losses and the uh, loss in Oakland earlier, or uh, the loss in San Francisco earlier this season. So I think it was just important for the Celtics to get a win against that team and be able to kind of feel good. But I think, you know, one of the interesting things about that game is, you know, yeah, you can call the Warriors a bad road team, but it's like when they're playing like that, you can see why they won the championship last year and, you know, why they're a team that, you know, <laughs> they get into the playoffs as, you know, a 6, 7, or an 8 seed. I don't think that's a team anyone in the NBA wants to play that time of the year. So that's all I'm going to say about, you know, the Warriors being a quote-unquote bad road team. I mean, maybe they are 5-18 and 18 on the road or whatever their road record is, but they're still a good team. They're still a championship team, and it's still a win against the defending champs. You know, if you're one of those people that wants to take away the win because, oh, it didn't feel like a win, well... No one's keeping track of feels like a win. Or no one's keeping track of games that don't feel like a win. The The fact of the matter is the Celtics are 35-12. and 12, You know, and they've won nine straight games. You know, putting it on the line tonight against an Orlando team. And I say that seriously. Because this is an Orlando team that has given you issues this year. Celtics are 1-2 and two against this Magic team this year. Celtics have lost two out of three against the Orlando Magic. No, I'm not joking. So it's like, this is a this is a game that, you know, as I mentioned last night with the Bruins, playing a team that's not very good, but they're a team that, Orlando, they're going to be motivated. They're a team that has a lot of young talent. They have a lot of guys that I think are really going to be getting excited and up for this game. Jonathan Isaac, I think, will make his return for the Magic after missing two seasons with a torn ACL. So you better believe that they're going to be excited to play this game. And they got a lot of young talent. You know, Paolo Bancaro is a guy that I think is going to be the next star in this league. And I think it's an Orlando Magic team that plays hard, plays the Celtics hard, and they're going to be motivated. So this is not going to be an easy game. By no means is this going to be easy. You know, I think we've seen time and time again with this team this season that when they play against bad teams, you know, it kind of takes them a little bit to get into the game. You know, as much as Orlando's record is not great, it's not really as bad as some other teams that they've played. So, you know, I think the Celtics should win this game. I'm not going to say that, you know, it's going to be hard to win this game, but they should. But this is an Orlando team that is going to, it's going to play you hard. And I think the Celtics really have to be ready um, to face a team that's young and hungry. And, you know, you just hope the Celtics are not looking ahead to this game against Miami Tuesday night. You know, it's not an ideal schedule that you have to play a hungry young team one night and then you have to play one of your you know eastern conference rivals the next night so you know here's hoping that jason tatum can play both of these games and the celtics held him out of saturday's game so he can be available for both of these games but it'd be curious to see who's available from a health standpoint you know if marcus smart and or rob williams and Derek white if those guys are available or if any combination of them are available so that will be interesting to see. And then the Celtics wrap up the week with home games against 
the New York Knicks on Thursday night, and then the LA Lakers come to town for a Saturday 8.30 primetime game on ABC, which should be pretty exciting. Uh, the Lakers, not necessarily the best team in the league, but hey, anytime you get to play LeBron James, it's an exciting game, and this is a Lakers team that you know, has been winning some games lately. They just snapped the uh, Memphis Grizzlies 11-game win streak with a win the other night. Lakers are uh, just a game out of the last play-in spot in the Western Conference. And, you know, you got a, you got a player in LeBron James that is coming close to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record, which is just, you know, pretty cool to pay attention to, you know. Obviously, me as a Celtics fan have had plenty of, you know, playoff battles against LeBron James-led teams, but, you know, he's a guy that can't help but respect his greatness, and yeah, I really hope that he does break that record later this season. That would certainly be a sight to see. So, Celtics-Lakers, Saturday night, rivalry, rivalry renewed, so that will be a fun game to catch on ABC. Celtics with three national TV games this week. They got tonight on uh, NBC Sports and three games in a row on national TV, two on TNT, Tuesday, Thursday, and then Saturday, obviously, ABC against the Lakers. So, obviously mentioned Peyton Pritchard getting some minutes. You know, be curious to see if Rob Williams does miss some time. You know, do we see... A little bit more Blake Griffin. Do we see a little bit more Luke Cornett? Um, very curious about the Celtics' approach to the trade deadline, which is coming up February 9th. We'll obviously keep you updated, but I think certainly an area that the Celtics are going to look at to try to improve is that's coming up in a couple weeks. So keep you posted on that. We'll take a look at the rest of the NBA and the standings later in the podcast. So we are going to get into a little bit of Patriots. To be perfectly honest, folks, there's not a whole lot of news, you know, other than the Patriots have um, brought in a couple of potential new offensive coordinators for um, or bringing in some candidates that could be offensive coordinators. Um the Patriots will also play um, a game in Germany next season. So that will be very exciting to see the uh, Patriots go international. Um, and so I think it probably makes sense to look at the Patriots uh, candidates that they're interviewing for offensive coordinator. You know, I think I've already said a lot of my piece about Bill O'Brien, you know, I think um, makes the most sense in terms of his familiarity with Bill Belichick, his familiarity with the organization. You know, I think, sure, if you want to say his familiarity with Mac Jones, although I don't really think that's, I think when people say that, they think that he coached Mac Jones and he didn't, you know, obviously, if he had coached at Alabama, you know, I think he took the offensive coaching or he became offensive coordinator just months after Mac Jones's final season at Alabama had ended. So they didn't exactly interact, but I think clearly if O'Brien ran the offense at Alabama for two years, Mac Jones came from Alabama. So, you know, there is a connection there, but he didn't exactly coach him. But I do think that, okay, finding someone that has familiarity with the same coaches that coached Mac Jones, you know, it kind of makes sense. So I think his, you know, hiring would make the most sense um, just because of the familiarity. And I think, to be perfectly honest, I think the Patriots need to kind of get back to basics, if you will, um, and kind of need to be able to do the simple things, you know, because it seemed like, the simple things were kind of an issue for the team offensively this past season. And so I think bringing in someone where it's going to be a smooth transition makes a lot of sense. And okay, maybe it's not the sexiest decision, but I think 
you know, to me, familiarity is more important than anything else. And I think, you know, I think the pros and cons, you know, trying something totally new would be an interesting idea. But I also feel like in a way the Patriots kind of tried that last year, you know, so I think in terms of it being the easy decision and it makes the most sense, I think I'm fine with that because like I said, it's familiarity. And I think what can you do to make this simple things easier? And I think that that's what Bill O'Brien can bring, you know, really not sure about what the type of offense the Patriots would be running with any of these guys. You know, I think interviewing or requesting permission to speak to uh, Keenan McCardell and uh, Sean Jefferson, you know, shows you that maybe the Patriots are looking at guys who can get more out of the wide receiver position as both of those guys um, are wide receiver coaches at the moment. You know, McCardell was with the Vikings this past season. Jefferson was with the Cardinals this past season. So, you know, I think that that's interesting. Um, Nick Haley also was granted an interview as kind of like the in-house candidate. Um, he had been interviewed by the Jets last week. So I think that that makes sense. He was the tight ends coach this past season. And I think, you know, just to kind of give him an interview made sense not going to say that he's not a serious candidate. I don't want to say that, but I think it may have just kind of been a courtesy thing, um, but I do think that it's, you know, interesting because it's someone kind of, I don't want to say the outside looking in, that's not, um, not what I'm trying to say, but I think having another person who's familiar with the team and the and the offense and the guys um, that had been on the team recently, you know, Kaylee's been um, an offensive coach since 2015, so at least you know he would have some familiarity with, you know, obviously the tight ends and the offensive players. You know, not really sure if he was involved at all with more on the offense this past year. You know, we didn't really hear a lot, but, you know, I think that he, you know, certainly could have been considered for a similar role last season. You know, I don't really know if it makes sense to get into being, uh, oh, okay, well, why didn't they interview him last season? You know, who knows? You know, I think that it's, look, it's easy to say that, okay, you know, things didn't work this past season. Why didn't you hire someone else? And yeah, it's easy to, it's easy to have that thought, but it's like, I just think the Patriots tried something and it didn't work. And look, it would be the same thing if they had Kaylee call their plays last season and it didn't work. You know, it's nothing more than they thought something was going to work. It didn't. And, you know, that's kind of the end of it. It doesn't really need to be anything more than that, but, you know, but I think it'd be interesting to see if Kaylee returns to the coaching staff, um, even if he doesn't become um, offensive coordinator. So uh, one little tidbit of information that I think I heard this morning is that Gerard Mayo has been sitting in with Bill Belichick um, during the interview process for the offensive coordinator, which is kind of interesting. I think to me, that kind of tells me that, okay, the Patriots do envision an important and large role for Gerard going forward, you know, as maybe someone who potentially becomes, you know, associate head coach or becomes the head coach in a few years. So that was kind of interesting. One other candidate that the Patriots are, I think, had spoken to or were going to speak to um, was Adrian Clem, who is the um, associate head coach, run game coordinator, and offensive line coach um, at Oregon this past season. So that's kind of an interesting name. He was actually a uh, second round pick at the Patriots in 2000. It was actually the first draft pick that the Patriots had under Bill Belichick. So uh, kind of interesting there. He's been a graduate assistant at SMU, um, offensive line coach at UCLA, 
has kind of bounced around in his coaching career. So be interesting to see. And actually he was an assistant offensive line coach for the Steelers in 2019. Was with them for a couple of seasons. So yep, yeah, the assistant offensive line coach and then the offensive line coach for three seasons in Pittsburgh and then who had been at Oregon this past season. So um, Clem also was a member of the Patriots during their three Super Bowl championships in the early 2000s. Um, so that's a kind of an interesting name. You know, obviously, I think if you want to think about the candidates, there's one person that I think could be considered the favorite, and that's probably O'Brien, an internal candidate, and then three different coaches from you know, different backgrounds, you know, one from the coach or one from the college coaching area, um, and then two from the NFL, two kind of wide receiver coaches, an offensive line, running game coach, whatever you want to call Adrian Clem. So I think it's good that the Patriots are interviewing a breadth of different candidates. I think also it's fantastic that they're interviewing um, some coaches of color, which I think is outstanding. Uh, and I think you know, makes you feel good about this franchise that they're doing an exhaustive search to, you know, look for kind of that offensive coach who can, you know, hopefully put everything together for this offense. So I don't think there's really any other Patriot news. You know, the Pro Bowl games are coming up in a couple weeks. You know, players may opt out of that. So you could see some Patriot players get into that. Maybe, maybe Matt Judon. Maybe Marcus Jones, you know, we'll see. Um, but I do kind of like that new format that they're doing. Um, so I think I'm going to jump over to the Red Sox. Not a whole lot of news here. Um, you know, did bring in a couple of free agents last week. Obviously, we talked about Adam Duvall last week, a one-year $7 million deal. So he's in the fold. You know, could see him in center field. I think that's kind of the plan at the moment. And Kike Hernandez, you know, will shift to shortstop. We'll have an in middle infield of him and Christian Arroyo. You know, unless there's a trade that comes between now and the start of the season, I still think that that could happen. Uh, Joey Wendell is a guy that the Red Sox have been linked to, early, had been linked to earlier in the offseason. He's a guy that can play shortstop, played in Tampa Bay when Heim Bloom was there, so... I still think that there could be a trade to be made for someone like that um, to kind of shore up the middle infield. I know that, you know, Kike is capable of playing shortstop. I think just might be a question of how much can he hold up, you know, if he's going to have to play that position for the majority of the season, you know, if the Red Sox are going to be without Trevor Story for, I think, probably at least the first half of the season. You know, the Red Sox really never offered any type of timetable for the elbow surgery. So, you know, you kind of don't know, you know, <laughs> as scary as it might sound, you might have to assume that he's out for the season. So, you know, if that's the case, then it's like, okay, you might really have to invest in kind of a shorthanded shortstop and a guy who can stay healthy because, you know, Kike really wasn't able to stay healthy for a lot of last season. So be interesting to see, but I think the it's an interesting signing with Duvall. You know, he's a guy that strikes out a lot, doesn't really hit for a high average, but I think, you know, is a guy that has power. You know, he had 30, 38 home runs two years ago. So, you know, it's not exactly a guy that hasn't ever been able to hit a lot of home runs. You know, he's a pretty solid player back in the day in Cincinnati when he was with the Reds, um, but clearly, you know, can still hit. So, you know, you hope that he can stay healthy. You know, you hope that the outfield can be you know, productive, um, not only defensively, but offensively too. You know, really kind of don't know what you're going to get from Yoshida, the Japanese player the Red Sox signed. You know, I think obviously a tremendous hitter from his time in the Japanese league, but I think kind of making the jump over is you know, doesn't always work perfectly. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, I think the Red Sox are planning to use him in left field um, to start the season. So, you know, we'll see. I think um, the Red Sox did make a small signing 
uh, a couple of minor league deals like we talked about Jorge Alfaro last week was the catcher that the Red Sox brought in. The Red Sox also last week brought in Ramel, uh, Ramel Tapia from the, or had played for the Blue Jays last season. Uh, so they had signed him to a minor league deal. Uh, just find him really quickly. This guy that last season hit 265, seven home runs and kind of a utility role, played 128 games. Before being in Toronto, he was in Colorado for a couple seasons. Similar type role, hit nine home runs and 44 RBIs in 2019, six home runs and 50 RBIs in 2021. I think just someone that can be just some major league depth at the outfield position. But it is interesting because the Red Sox do have a couple of other guys that can play the outfield as well. You know, you think about Duran, you think about Rob Refsnyder. You know, kind of curious about what they're thinking for a guy like Tapia, but he's a guy that plays with a lot of energy. You know, he's a guy that you may remember for hitting that uh, inside the park home run at Fenway Park in July during that uh, 25 to 25 to 2, whatever that game was. Um, but I think, you know, the Red Sox are just trying to fill the team out around the margins, which, you know, some fans may not be happy with. And, you know, I think to a point, I'm not exactly happy with either because I think that the Red Sox aren't exactly using all their resources to, you know, build a better team. But it's going to be what it's going to be for the, for the, for the, for the best of the worst case. You know, I think it's, they, they are asking a lot of players like Chris Sale and Corey Kluber and guys that I think are kind of either on the older side or you know, have had major injuries in the last couple of years. And, you know, I have to be honest, as much as Chris Sale is saying that he's ready to go and he's good to go, you know, I have my reservations because we've not really seen him healthy in quite a long time. And I think it's hard for me to have the confidence that he's going to be healthy all season. You know, you hope that he is. You know, I think that it's been unfortunate the amount of injuries that he's suffered over the last couple of years because we've not really seen him be at his absolute best so you know I think that there's a lot up in the air for this team that you're hoping that guys can stay healthy you can get you know contributions from everywhere in the lineup but there's a lot of questions you know how does Kike Hernandez hold up at shortstop you know can Christian Arroyo can he stay healthy can the Red Sox have a consistent enough bat at first base if it's Casas like can he hit for average you know can Duvall hit for average. Can he, you know, prove that last season was a fluke? Can he get back to being that guy that hit 30-plus home runs two years ago? You know, what does Yoshida look like? Can he get on base a lot? You know, how is he in the outfield defensively? You know, I think it's just, it is what it is that I think this team has a lot of questions in terms of how are they going to be competitive? You know, what are you going to expect from the starting pitchers, you know, can they stay healthy? You know, what is the bullpen going to look like? Yeah, you dipped into it a lot this offseason, but did you do enough to be able to clean things up? You know, what do you expect to see from Tanner Houck or Garrett Whitlock? Where do you see them on the team? You know, do you see Tanner Houck in the rotation? Do you see him out of the bullpen? You know, do they use him as a trade chip? You know, what the heck happens with Bobby Dahlbeck? You know, it's just uh, a lot of questions. You know, hopefully the Red Sox can answer some of these questions before the start of the season. You know, for example, getting a consistent glove at shortstop and someone that you can feel confident in that can play the majority of the season. And it's not like I don't have confidence in Kike because he can play the infield. But, you know, after the season that he had last year, that he really struggled to stay on the field. It's, you know, I don't know. It's hard to... It's hard to, you know, have that kind of confidence. So, you know, I think we'll keep updating as the offseason goes on and we get closer to spring training. But I think, you know, this is a team that really could go any which way. Could this team be a team that feasibly wins close to 90 games? Possibly. 
Is this a team that's just going to be mired in last place and struggles to win 75 games? You know, really could be anywhere in between with this team. So, you know, we'll keep you updated, but that's kind of where things stand right now. We're going to get to uh, talking a bit about the NFL. Had a couple of uh, pretty important playoff games this past weekend. The uh, divisional round kicked off with a couple of teams that had clinched the number one seeds playing for the first time this postseason. So got to see Kansas City hold off Jacksonville. Patrick Mahomes hurt pretty bad in this game as the uh, Chiefs win 27-20. I think it's reported that he has a high ankle sprain. So, you know, I think it's going to be hard for him to play through that. I don't expect that he doesn't play. I would expect that he absolutely plays, but I'll just tell you, like them playing Cincinnati, I'm concerned about that game, but we'll get to Cincinnati in a moment. But Jacksonville, just too many mistakes in this game, a couple turnovers and just mistakes that you can't have against the Kansas City Chiefs, no matter who was playing quarterback. Uh, The Chiefs did get Chad Henney to direct a uh, 97-yard touchdown drive in the second quarter, so... Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a capable backup if he needs to play. So, you know, Chiefs get the win, 27-20. Really was not a super close game, although Jacksonville, I think, had opportunities. But I think this is a team that you're going to see back in the playoffs for years to come. You know, Trevor Lawrence is a, is a guy that has a lot of great ability, and they have some good players around him. And I think they're going to get better with experience, and I think... You know, Doug Peterson is a great coach for that type of team, kind of a young, hungry, up-and-coming team. Uh, So I'm really excited about the future of that team. Um, The night game on Saturday, really not much to talk about there as the Eagles smoked the Giants 38-7. This game was never close. You know, Daniel Jones and company, I think, a little bit too jittery uh, in the first quarter. You know, going forward in fourth and eighth, on their first drive, throwing an interception, you know, just not, um, I think just not the way that they wanted their season to end, but to be perfectly honest, I think they got farther than anyone would have predicted getting to the divisional round, but I think, you know, the Eagles are just, they're just very, very hard to beat, and they looked every bit like the team that ran through the NFL through the first 10, 12 weeks of the season. It's just like when everything is working offensively and defensively, you know, it's hard to believe that there's a team out there that could beat them. So tremendous performance by Philly, I think, putting to bed any type of worry about, oh, how would they do after a week off? And the week off is really beneficial for them as they dominated from start to finish in this game. So they and the Chiefs will host the uh, championship games next Sunday. Chiefs will play against Cincinnati as they dominated Buffalo in the snow yesterday. That was a pretty impressive win for the Bengals, I think. Coming into a hostile environment, a weather game, and Joe Burrow just looked like he was playing catch with all his receivers in this game. So a tremendous win for Cincinnati, 27-10. This game really was never close, uh, especially in the second half. Bengals coming up with some big defensive plays, and I'll be honest, I'm a little worried about Kansas City, especially with Mahomes being hobbled. Um, Because Cincinnati defensively really shut down the Bills and didn't let them do anything that they wanted to do on offense. So that will be an intriguing game on Sunday night in Kansas City. But Cincinnati gets the win 27-10. Buffalo's season ends in the divisional round. Pretty disappointing way for them to go out this season, I think. There was a lot of hope and excitement for their team, um, I think, really from the start of training camp. So, you know, be curious to see where they go from here. Um, and then in the game last night, the 49ers beating the Cowboys 19-12. to Defensive battle in this game. San Francisco using a big touchdown drive in the second half. And, you know, as I mentioned, Philadelphia looking like an unbeatable team. This is a San Francisco team that I think didn't dominate this game the way that the Eagles did on Saturday night. But I think 
played and did enough to win. And he had a gritty win, a good defensive game, and a game that I think you feel good about being able to play and win the close game, you know, and you hope that that kind of gives you momentum going into a team that, you know, blew out their opponent. So San Francisco gets the win, Brock Purdy, 214 touchdowns, and it's a game away from going to the Super Bowl. But I think that, you know, that NFC Championship game is going to be awesome. You have two teams that are playing their absolute best, and I think two teams that legitimately can win the Super Bowl. You know, I think that for all four of these teams that are left have the have a legitimate chance to win. You know, kind of not sure about Mahomes and his ankle because I think, you know, Kansas City is at their best offensively when he is, you know, improvising, scrambling, and things like that. And I think, you know, not sure how much he's going to be able to do in terms of that this week is they play a Cincinnati defense that I think is really going to be, you know, up to the task. And I think this is a team that's been playing with a lot of motivation. And I think specifically in the postseason with how everything went with that potential coin toss with that, you know, neutral site AFC championship, there were a lot of people that kind of acted like they forgot about the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think they absolutely feel slighted about that. And I think, you know, you know, I don't know. There's just something about a team that feels like they've been disrespected. And I think it's legitimate to wonder whether, you know, that is what is going through their minds that, okay, the NFL is busy, you know, selling 50,000 tickets for a neutral site game, and they don't even care that, you know, we're playing a game. So, you know... <laughs> It is very, very interesting, and I think something that I think they're certainly using as motivation because, you know, Joe Burrow, he's a guy that, uh, you know, just enjoys proving people wrong, and, you know, it just really impressed me the way that they were able to win yesterday in the snow, in the elements, and kind of just made it look easy. So, you know, that's a team that I think is position to I think really kind of be the most motivated team going through the rest of the playoffs so that will be interesting to see we'll take a look at some other um, notes from around the NFL the Cowboys um, obviously losing in San Francisco yesterday Tony Pollard broke his leg in the loss And uh, one of the other great things about this weekend of football was uh, the return of uh, DeMar Hamlin to the um, Bill Stadium as he made an appearance. I was actually watching a game, watching the game from uh, a box in Buffalo. So that was really exciting to see that he was there being able to support the team. So the NFC Championship is at 3 o'clock on Sunday, and then the AFC Championship at 6.30 on Sunday. And then the winners will play in Super Bowl 57. So I think we're going to hop over to the NHL, kind of take a look at some notes from around the league and the standings. You know, I think a lot of people are talking about the Vancouver Canucks in the hockey world over the last couple of days as Bruce Boudreaux had been let go. And I think to a lot of people, including myself, I think that unfortunately he was not put in the best position to succeed. And I think they're kind of a team and an organization that's in a lot of turmoil. You know, I think just with the coach being out and being a franchise that has not, um, I think, made the playoffs once in the last eight years. And I think
I think being a team and being a you know fan base that I think expects a lot, it's you know tough to see that a team like that and a coach like that is you know or I should say like the fan base and the coach is being let down. And I think it is too bad because Bruce Boudreaux is a great hockey coach and has had success pretty much everywhere he's gone and I think really enjoys the game and enjoys being around the players. And I think it's just too bad that it had to come to kind of an end like that as he was only the coach for 13 months, you know, took over in the middle of the season. Not last season, but the season before, I believe. Um, so just unfortunate there with that situation. The uh, Canadian's Cole Caulfield is out for the rest of the season after he underwent shoulder surgery. So the Bruins, unfortunately, will miss him tomorrow night as the Bruins play the Canadiens. Um, you know, a couple of other really devastating injuries. Um, the Senators, Josh Norris, re-injured his shoulder, so he's done for the rest of the year. Um, and the Canadians, or the Hurricanes, Max Pacioretty returned recently from his torn Achilles and unfortunately re-tore it, re it the other night. So just a really tough break for him there. So, you know, just a really brutal break for for him. You know, I think a guy that, has worked really hard to try to get back. And I think, you know, Carolina was really looking forward to having him for the rest of the season, really kind of gave them an edge, but won't be seeing him the rest of the year. So that's just really tough there. So I'll take a look at some games tonight, Florida and the Rangers at seven o'clock and then the Islanders in Toronto also at seven o'clock, Buffalo and Dallas at 8.30. And then on ESPN Plus tonight, Columbus and Calgary Johnny Gaudreau's first game back in Calgary since signing with Columbus as a free agent. So now we'll take a look at the standings. Bruins, obviously, atop the Atlantic by 14 points over the Toronto Maple Leafs, Tampa Bay in third with 59 points. And then in the Metropolitan, Carolina leads the division with 66 points. Then the Devils are in second with 64 and the Rangers in third at 57. And then in the wild card positions, Washington in that first spot with 56 points. And then Pittsburgh in the second spot with 54. And Florida and the Islanders three points back of that final playoff spot. In the Western Conference, Dallas and Winnipeg actually lead the conference with 63 points, Dallas is in first place in the Central, Winnipeg in second, Minnesota in third, and then in the Pacific, Vegas, Seattle, and Los Angeles, the top three, only separated by two points. And then in the wild card spots, you have Edmonton and Colorado. Calgary is even in points with Colorado, and then Nashville is three points back. So I think we're going to move over to the NBA. Take a look at some notes. Um, as we've mentioned, the Celtics and Magic tonight. Jonathan Isaac set for his uh, return after missing two seasons. And some of the games tonight. Celtics and Magic, obviously, from Orlando, 7 o'clock. Milwaukee and Detroit, also at 7 o'clock. 8 o'clock on the NBA TV, the Hawks and the Bulls. And then another 8 o'clock game, Minnesota and Houston. Charlotte and Utah at 9 o'clock. San Antonio and Portland at 10. And then on NBA TV, 10.30, Memphis and Sacramento. A couple of teams playing pretty good basketball lately. Speaking of good basketball, the Celtics continue to just be dominant as they've won nine in a row in first place by four and a half games over Philadelphia. Milwaukee is in third, Brooklyn in fourth, Cleveland in fifth, and then the Heat in sixth. And then in the play-in positions, the Knicks in seventh, Hawks in eighth, Pacers ninth, and then the Bulls 
our tenth. And the Raptors and the Magic, or Raptors and the Wizards, I should say, are a game and a half out of that final play-in spot. In the Western Conference, Denver holds a game and a half lead over Memphis. They are far ahead of the third-place team, Sacramento Kings. And then the Pelicans are fourth, Mavericks fifth, Clippers sixth. And then in the play-in spots, the Suns, the Timberwolves, the Jazz, and the Warriors with the Thunder even or with the same record as the Warriors and the Lakers, just a game back of that final playing spot. So it's been a really weird Western Conference this year. You know, Denver and Memphis, two teams that, not surprised, are near the top of the West, but Sacramento's been playing really well this season. You know, the Pelicans have had a good run. Not recently, though, as they've lost four in a row, but it's a really interesting-looking Western Conference. So... Uh, pay, be paying attention to that the rest of the season. So I think that's going to do it for me this week. Uh, thanks for tuning in. You know, you can always listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we'll talk to you folks on Friday with Guest Friday.